What's going on, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls? You're listening to another brand new episode of This Week in Sports. As always, I am your host, The Pody. It is Friday, August 5th, 2022. And I'm back on location in New Jersey, back from my vacation in the Myrtle Beach area. I'm happy to be here with you guys. I've just gotten everything set up. Um, I was missing my adapter, had to go located in my luggage um, case because I had forgotten to take that out, needed that to connect to my MacBook. So we're up and running. We're ready to go. Football is back. I will get you all caught up with the Hall of Fame game from last night, if anyone actually really cared about that. I didn't watch a single play. Truthfully, didn't even realize it was on. NFL did a bad job again, yet again, of advertising this game in Canton, but I'll get you caught up with that. It was Raiders versus Jaguars. So I guess technically first exhibition or preseason game of the season. I'll talk a little bit about that. We've got an update on the Brittany Griner situation. So I will get to um, that as well. Um, we'll talk baseball. There was obviously um, an insane um, a number of trades, including the fact that um, Juan Soto was in fact traded. So there's that, uh, just there, there, there's just so much to get to, um, in terms of sports, uh, Deshaun Watson, we, we have an update on that as well. Um, give me one second. I'm just trying to get this situated. Um, for some reason, my, iPad and my, uh, okay, here we go. It looks like they're talking to each other once again. So I should, okay, perfect. All right. So yeah, without further ado, let's jump in. This is a milestone on this show as we are on episode 180. So here we go. Okay, and like I just said, we're going to start exactly with the Hall of Fame game. The Raiders cruised to a win in Josh McDaniel's coaching debut last night. Um, there were some thunderstorms. I seen videos from people on social media, traveled really far to get there to watch the game, and then these crazy storms came in, lightning. They had to evacuate the whole bit. So Raiders end up winning the game 27 to 11. I saw they were up 20 to nothing at halftime. Um, and the cool part about it is this was Sean, excuse me, Josh McDaniel's debut with the Raiders, uh, their new head coach there. He actually played in that same stadium in high school. So that's really neat there. Um, some key takeaways. I'll give you some of the numbers um, for, for you here. You have Kyle Sloter. Um, he threw for 127 yards, 13 of 25, one touchdown, um, for the Jaguars. Um, and then on the flip side of that, you had Jared Stidham who looked really well. He ran one in on like third and eight for a touchdown. He was eight of 15, 96 yards and that rushing touchdown, no passing touchdowns. It looks to be that Stidham, um, has the inside track to the backup role behind Derek Carr pretty much locked in. One interesting 
takeaway that that I've been seeing uh, circulating all over the internet is the fact that Josh Jacobs started and played two series in this game, which is, this isn't really even considered like a preseason game. Um, so for him to, to start and play any semblance of time in this game when he could get hurt leads me to believe and is leading many to believe that is this going to be a committee? Uh, because Amir Abdullah, I believe it was, got a lot of run in this game from what I was seeing. Um, no, not as much run. He scored a touchdown, but so, it, it, you know, um, Zamir White was the one that got a lot of run. He had 11 carries, but it was a little weird that Josh Jacobs played two series, had five carries for 30 yards. Um, it's just it's just something to keep an eye out for fantasy drafts that are coming up in the next couple of weeks here. Um, who knows if Josh Jacobs is really going to be as effective or or as much of a workhorse as he's been in recent years. And now with the addition of uh, Devontae Adams taking away goal line opportunities, it, it's an interesting thing to keep an eye on. And then last but not least, another key takeaway, uh, Patrick Graham's new multiple defense is off to a good start. Of course, Patrick Graham, uh, the defensive coordinator there with the Raiders now. All right, so that was the Hall of Fame game. Moving on, we're going to jump into the Brittany Griner saga uh, court case. I've been very transparent, bring you each week with, with the updates as I'm receiving them and in real time as they're coming through and as I'm sure you will, you, you're getting them on your phones and through notifications, et cetera, et cetera. So here's the latest. The WNBA star was found guilty of drug smuggling and possession charges in a Russian court yesterday and was sentenced to nine and a half years in prison. That might sound like a lot. That might seem scary uh, just for having marijuana, but this is Russia we're talking about. Uh, she did plead guilty, so we, we did know that this was this was going to happen. This is nothing new. This isn't a surprise to the U.S. or to anybody, um, but it now um, puts the United States on the clock to get her home via diplomatic means. So I spoke on last week's episode about the offer the U.S. had made to Russia for, you know, a prisoner swap scenario. They were offering up Victor Bout, you know, the 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 merchant of death, which is scary thought that they're going to give up this guy. Um, but he was the offer in exchange for Griner and American Paul Whelan, Joe Biden, came out yesterday calling the verdict unacceptable while the WNBA commissioner Kathy Engelbert and NBA commissioner Adam Silver said in a joint statement, um, it is unjustified and unfortunate, but not unexpected. So pretty much everyone was expecting this. It's just now on the U.S. government to agree to a prisoner swap and hash out the details. Last week, Russia, it seemed like they wanted a second guy in return as well, who was an actual murderer, but the U.S. didn't have him. He was in Germany. Um, so it, it, it's, you know, it, it's all diplomatic means at this point. I don't believe she's going to serve nine years in prison. They should be able to get her back at some point, but it's just a crazy, crazy saga. Players and coaches have been very vocal on social media. Uh, the hashtag free Brittany Griner has been trending. So that's the latest on the Brittany Griner saga. Um, hopefully the U S will agree to terms with Russia or they can come to some sort of arrange 
arrangement and they can get her as well as the American Paul Whelan back because I know he's been in Russian prison for a, for a much longer time and uh, we can you know move on from this. I doubt Brittany Griner will ever go back to Russia after she comes home. Um, so yeah, it's just it's been a crazy hot button topic that's been it's been on they've been talking about this on Fox News I, I CNN I've seen this this is really a it goes beyond sports at this point she's such a big figurehead in sports but it's just a, such a polarizing um ordeal that that is happening and, and it's really overtaking uh the media so um hopefully next week you know we can the U.S. can make some headway and, and get her back, and I'll have an update, you know, when I when I have it. Okay, um, I'm going to switch things over. There was a new record. There's a new record holder in terms of a sold baseball card. A Hownis Wagner card broke the sales record. The card was produced by American Tobacco Company between 1909 and 1911, and it was just sold for $7.25 million. Oh, my God. In a private sale. And, of course, the buyer and seller remain anonymous. You have to have, you know, be a significant somebody to buy a baseball card for $7.25 million. The previous record was $6.6 million for a different SGC3 graded T206 Hownis Wagner that sold a year ago. So not that long ago, these T206 uh, Wagner cards are like the mint money ones that people are wanting because, you know, there's so few of them. It's that card as well as the 1952 Topps Mickey Mantle, one of which sold the last year for $5.2 million. Those remain the holy grail baseball cards, people, because of how few exist and the popularity of the players. There's so few, I bet, because our grandparents and our great-grandparents probably bought them for five cents, you know, when they bought a pack of, a pack of uh, you know, cigarettes, at, you know, at the convenience store in the early 1900s. And years went by and years went by and eventually their wives or, or grandmas and everybody else, you know, just threw them out. And as things got traded down from generation to generation, people just would throw things out. And as people move, they throw things out. Um, so, yeah, there's so few of them remaining. And it's just insane that these cards are selling for millions upon millions of dollars. Just absolutely incredible. Okay, let's talk Deshaun Watson. This is an important one. He was handed, finally we have a verdict. Deshaun Watson was handed a six-game suspension for his sexual assault and misconduct of 30 different women. Really, it was four, it's four women because the other 26, I believe, settled. It, it, um, it went to an independent judge by the name of Sue L. Robinson, and she wrote in her decision that the NFL carried its burden to prove by a preponderance of the evidence that Mr. Watson engaged in sexual assault as defined by the NFL against the four therapists identified in the report. The league had recommended Watson be suspended for the entire season and not permitted to return unless he satisfies conditions imposed for reinstatement. However, Robinson ultimately ruled on procedural grounds, arguing 
there was no precedent for a year-long suspension for what she termed a non-violent sexual assault. Way to go, Miss Robinson. You're just doing wonders for women's empowerment and women's rights. I am absolutely floored and shocked that this is a woman, a female judge, and she didn't, you know, put her foot on his neck, if you will, and give him a ridiculous long-term sentence. But it, it it's shocking, and, and you know, She's a, she's the judge, not me. She knows more about the laws and the rules and everything than I certainly would. Um, but it is quite shocking that a female judge was put in charge of this and gave him pretty much the minimum. And, and, and she she ruled on procedural grounds. It doesn't seem like very much, but um, it is what it is. The NFL is now going to appeal it, but Watson could also face a large fine to take a bigger chunk out of his fully guaranteed $230 million deal, which was structured so that a lengthy suspension wouldn't cost him much. So here's the deal. The league is now appealing, trying to get the suspension um, pushed to at least a full season. They want like an indefinite, but which what I'm reading is like it would be a year um, and then he would come back, I guess, after that. Goodell is not going to be the one to preside over the appeal, and he instead tabbed former New Jersey Attorney General Peter C. Harvey to hear the case. Shout out, Jersey. Harvey previously served as a federal prosecutor with an expertise in criminal law, including domestic violence and sexual assault. So it makes sense why Goodell is picking him, of course. So again, just much like the Brittany Griner situation, I will be updating you as new information comes along and as um, these things resolve themselves. So I'll let you guys know next week when we have an answer on the appeal, if we get an answer. Okay, MLB trade deadline came and went on Tuesday. I'm not going to go through and talk about every single trade. I will talk about a few of them, but one I want to speak about is Whit Merrifield. He was traded from the Kansas City Royals to the Blue Jays. And this is interesting because a couple of weeks ago, the Kansas City Royals went to Toronto to play a series and were missing 10 of their players or a quarter of their team. One of them was Whit Merrifield. Another of them was Andrew Benintendi. And again, there was speculation around Benintendi coming to the Yankees and getting vaccinated or not because they still have one series left against Toronto and then possible playoff scenarios. Well, Merrifield, by going, agreeing to a trade to the Blue Jays, you would have to assume that he was going to get vaccinated. So here was Andrew Benintendi speaking to reporters about that, and he was asked about his vaccination status. Blue Jays fans are excited that you're on. They're excited to see you playing at Rogers Center. So where do things stand as whether you'll be able to cross the border? Like I said, I, for a couple of weeks now, I've understood that this might be a possibility, and um, I'll be I'll be in Toronto when the team goes there. Have you had the vaccine? Yeah. Can you tell us when you had it, just so we have a general timeline of when you will be able to come to Toronto? I'll be in Toronto when the team gets to Toronto. So there you have it. Whit Merrifield making it extremely clear that he did, in fact, get vaccinated in order to join the Blue Jays and play with them. So they kept asking him, can you give us a timeline? Like, when did you get vaccinated? And he's saying he'll be able, he'll be in Toronto. And he was in Toronto and he's playing the outfield now instead of second base. And I believe he had 
either two hits in an RBI or one hit and two RBI, something like that in his debut. And the Blue Jays won that game. So just very interesting. You go over two years um, and a lot of these guys, principal, morals, whatever, won't get vaccinated. And so it's very surprising to me that after two years, he decided, you know what, I'm just going to get vaccinated, especially since things are pretty much getting better and going back to normal. You're seeing less and less masks out there. Although I saw a woman yesterday in 99 degree weather on the golf course, kid you not, long sleeves, pants, walking, not riding, full mask by herself. Uh, You just can't make these things up. Uh, So I don't know what the point of that would be except to get heat stroke and and, and heat exhaustion and, and, and possibly die. But to each his own. So yes, Whit Merrifield did in fact get vaccinated and probably he decided after a couple of years, I'm sick and tired of losing. I want to go to a contender. I'm getting older now. And if I'm going to go to a contender and I have to get vaccinated, so be it. So there you have it. Whit Merrifield decided to get vaccinated. Andrew Benintendi, on the other hand, to my knowledge, not vaccinated still. All right, going to talk about Clayton Kershaw. You might have missed this yesterday, but this is some significant news. Kershaw left his start yesterday in the fifth inning against the Dodgers, uh, excuse me, against the Giants due to a lower back strain or some lower back pain. He was warming up bottom of the fifth inning, went out there, was throwing his warm-up pitches, and you could tell after he threw one, he looked to the dugout, he pointed, and he was hurt. And you can you can hear it right here. Watch his reaction. He looks into the dugout. Grabbed at his hip and he's saying, ah. My back. Anytime I hear something about a back. I just think of Mike Tyson. Spinal gets me every time. So yeah, here's the thing. Kershaw later said that he just felt something kind of lock up there in the fifth. Couldn't really throw after that. Something in my back again. The reason he's saying again, because he's referring to the month he missed earlier this season with SI joint inflammation. And not only that, Kershaw has a history of uh, of back-related injuries in his career. This is not good for the Dodgers. It's not good at all. So something to keep an eye on. If it just locked up on him, maybe, you know, it was just some inflammation, some tightness, like a muscle spasm or a cramp or something, they're going to be very cautious. I guarantee Kershaw goes on the IL, and we probably won't see him for at least a couple of weeks just because they're going to be extremely cautious about this. All right, I teased the Juan Soto trade. Yes, Juan Soto has officially been traded from the Nationals to the Padres. There was some sticking point issue with this trade, which I'll talk about in a second. Um, But the Padres played the Rockies on Wednesday, which is hilarious because Soto made his debut. And the Padres, of course, made multiple moves, like basically three moves and big moves. Wheel and dealing left and right, while the Rockies were the only team in baseball to not make a single trade. Now, just to recap, 
The Padres traded a slew of young prospects, like a left-handed pitcher who's really good, another kid that throws 100 miles an hour, is only 18 years old, as well as Eric Hosmer. However, the sticking point was Eric Hosmer. He had a no-trade clause, did not want to go to the Washington Nationals. He's 32 years old. He's won the World Series. He doesn't want to play out his last years with the crappy Nationals. That's just, that's his choice. So the deal was not off the table by any means. The Padres came right back and said, you know what? You don't want Hos uh, Hosmer won't go. Here, you can have Luke Voigt. So they traded Luke Voigt instead. And those three prospects or four prospects, whatever it was, biggest trade in history, according to many. Okay. So that was the sticking point. The deal gets done. Not only do the Padres land Juan Soto, because you're saying, wait a minute, they're trading away both of their first basemen. Who's going to play first? No, they recouped Josh Bell in this deal as well. Now, Bell, if you don't really know him, a few years ago with the, he's a, he's a, Young phenom, not that young, but 26, 27 years old, whatever he is now, and might be slightly older. Um, but he was one of those like stud type prospects coming up, switch hitter, had a couple, started to put it together with the uh, Pirates a few years ago and then went over to the Nationals. He's actually having his best season of his career this year. So it's a huge lift for the Padres at first base and they get Juan Soto, of, of course. Just ridiculous, right? So, I don't know if I said, uh, so Hosmer didn't want to go to the Nationals, so he was out of the deal. They threw in Luke Voigt, and then the Red Sox came in and actually traded for Hosmer. So Hosmer goes to a Boston team that dumped a couple of their players, including Christian Vasquez, and it's hard to say whether they are still in, still going for it, uh, they're last in the division, but they're not far out of a playoff spot. So it's hard to say what they're doing. But uh, Hosmer, I'm sure, is happy because they needed a, a boost at first base. So what else did the Padres do? They traded their closer, Taylor Rogers, who, from what I'm hearing, their former closer, who's on my fantasy team, I didn't know they had uh, dropped him from the closer's role, but apparently they did. They traded him to the Brewers for... Their closer in Josh Hader, um, one of the best closers in baseball. I was a little bit confused by it, but uh, many believe that they weren't going to be able to retain him past this year. And of course, they're going all in are the Padres trying to win a a, a title. Um, it's the first time in Major League Baseball history that two uh, that teams have traded players with the two highest save counts at the time of the trade. I believe Hader had 28 saves and Rodgers had 27. It, it's incredible. And both of them are lefty closers. Just crazy, right? So, I, you know, it, it's definitely a little bit of a boost for the Padres because Hader is considered one of the best closers, although he had a string uh, uh, of blown saves right before the All-Star break that was unprecedented territory. Before that, earlier in the year, he went like 30 straight appearances without giving up a run. Um, so it, it's interesting. And then the sneaky move that the Padres made was they went out and they grabbed themselves Brandon Drury from the Reds, who was having, again, the best season of his career. It, it's unbelievable. So they play the 
Rockies on Wednesday. All three of these guys are making their debut, right? And here's what they do. Soto goes one for three. He walked in his first plate appearance, which was his 90-something walk of the season. Let me just find the full number. Yeah, 92nd walk of the season, which is fitting because it's more than 30 clear of any other player in the league. Ridiculous. Um, What did Brandon Drury do in his debut with the San Diego Padres? Oh, all he did was belt two home runs, including a grand slam on the very first pitch he saw as a Padre. All three, Josh Bell, Juan Soto, Brandon Drury, each reached base multiple times in their debut. That is the first time. So the Padres are the first Major League Baseball team since 1900 to have three midseason acquisitions all reach base safely multiple times in their debut. Listen. I'm glad Soto didn't go to the Dodgers, but my goodness, this Padre team is going to be a, is a force to be reckoned with in the National League. They're scary. And I can't help but go back to the whole um Tommy Pham and Jock Peterson incident and the whole slap. It's starting to make me wonder if this embarrassment for the Padres is what led them to go all in and make these trades and get Juan Soto. Could it be Jock Peterson's meme that he sent to Tommy Pham that sparked this whole thing? Because really what he was doing was making fun of the Padres for having such a stacked lineup last season and missing out on the playoffs. Oh, and don't forget, mind you, Fernando Tatis Jr., one of the best young players who's making over $300 million is going to be yet another acquisition that the Padres get because he should be coming back before the season is over to make that playoff push. It's incredible what this team has been able to do, and I would be scared if I'm the Dodgers and anyone else in the National League. Okay, some news that just came out uh, yesterday or the day before. Um, I guess you could consider her the best female college hoops player, University of Connecticut star Paige Buchers, she will miss the year. Um, She tore her ACL in a pickup game on Monday. And for girls, ACL injuries are more common, if you will. And it's probably going to take more recovery as well. So I look for her where a guy can probably recover nowadays in sometimes eight, nine months. Um, We saw what's his name on the Rams come back from an Achilles injury in like eight months, which was obscene. Um, But I look for her to be back in about a year. She is a junior right now. She underwent surgery today. Um, I think it'll be about a year. The doctor said they don't, they won't know until after surgery and she starts rehab and all that stuff. She was positive on social media and all that good stuff. Um, I actually read, I couldn't believe this. Last year alone, she made over a million dollars in NIL money. So quite shocking. Um, but that's the reality of college sports. So she's good. If she, if she, never played basketball again, a million dollars is nothing to slouch at. She could make some good investments and she could be well off for quite some time. So, you know, here's to wishing her the best in her recovery. All right, Live Golf and the PGA are back at each other's throats yet again. A group of 11 golfers, including Phil Mickelson and Bryson DeChambeau, filed an antitrust lawsuit against the PGA Tour. 
the players are challenging the suspensions imposed by the PGA Tour in June, and three players are also seeking a restraining order that would allow them to play in next week's FedEx Cup playoffs. Now, one Pat Perez, this is kind of funny. On June 28th, Perez blamed the FedEx Cup playoffs for missing the birth of his son, citing, you know, his grueling schedule as the primary reason he needed to leave the PGA Tour because he's claiming he missed his son's birth because he had to stick it out and play in these events, which is quite obscene and absurd. Um, and if I'm his wife or girlfriend or whatever, um, I'd rethink him uh, staying with him. I don't know. That's a little... It's a little strange to to miss your kid's birth, but okay. Um, but fast forward to two days ago when he filed suit in hopes of being able to play on tour again. So why did you say in June that you needed to leave the PGA because of the grueling schedule and now two months later you're trying to get back? I'll tell you why. Because these guys need to stop tiptoeing around the facts and just lay it out in the open. You jumped ship from the PGA, not because of the schedule, but because of the money. Listen, playing golf is enjoyable. When I'm playing good, at least. When I'm playing bad, it sucks. But these guys are pros, so they're always playing good. A bad round is good for them. Golf is not like a grueling sport. It's not football or baseball where you play 162 games. You can go out on any given day and just swing the club. It's not even that tiring. I played 18 Granted, I drove a cart, but these guys just walk and a guy next to them carries the clubs for them and tells them what to do. I don't have a caddy. I drive, you know, the golf cart in 90 degree weather yesterday, 95 plus. And after 18, it, it wasn't even that bad. I was like, I could play another 18. So I don't know what these guys are complaining about. They're taking hundreds of millions of dollars to go play on live. Now they want to come back to the PGA. Just don't lie to us. I have no problem with you taking the money if you just tell me you're taking the money and that's it. You're not going to live because, oh, the schedule is less grueling and you could be with your family more. Yeah, I'm sure that that that's cool and all, but that's not the reason you're doing it. You're doing it for the money. It just came out this week. They offered Tiger Woods between $700 and $800 million to ditch the PGA Tour and jump aboard the live train. And Tiger Woods turned it down. I mean, it's Tiger Woods. He doesn't need that money. But anybody else turning down that kind of money would be out of their minds. This is not over. The beef between the two sides is going to continue. Um, live Golf doesn't look like it's going anywhere. My brother and his wife just went to the Live Pro-Am at Trump's golf course in Bedminster last weekend, and they said it was a very different atmosphere than a real tournament. Um, it was more catered towards young people. Uh, you know, they said it was pretty much really fun and awesome. They think they were they were walking around following Paul Casey's wife because my sister-in-law is a big Paul Casey fan. And there was these two British women, they said, and it sounded like it was Paul Casey's wife. So, um, yeah, it doesn't look like Liv is going anywhere anytime soon. And if you look at these videos, they have these cool, like, you know, when you go to these Liv Golf tournaments, you could you, you know, you could putt and you could do these challenges and you could go in these certain areas like it's it's really fun and cool. And they're trying to gear it towards a younger, you know, frat bro type of 
younger college party scene type of type of environment. He said the chain smokers were there playing. Uh, that's a big, pretty big group. Uh, like you don't re- see that t- sort of stuff. It's like a concert. It's a whole entertainment um, scenario there. So uh, yeah, I don't see it going away anytime soon. So going to have to buckle up those bootstraps and figure out how to coexist because this is not going anywhere. And these PGA players are only going to continue to jump ship and go to live. Okay, back to football. The Miami Dolphins were hit with tampering charges. I hate this team. I hate this franchise. I really do. Not just because they're a big rival of my New York Jets, but I hate everything about them. Uh, They will forfeit their first round pick in 2023, uh, excuse me, and a third rounder in 2024 after the league found they made impermissible contact with TB12 while he was with the Patriots and Bucks, as well as impermissible excuse me, contact with Sean Payton's agent while he was still with the Saints. Miami owner Stephen Ross was also suspended through October 17th and was fined $1.5 million. And the Dolphins vice chairman and limited partner Bruce Beal was also fined 500 k and cannot attend any league meetings for the remainder of the 2022 season. But apparently um, this is not a two-way street because neither Tom Brady nor Sean Payton will be sanctioned or punished. Uh, The investigation, this is a big one too, also concluded that the Dolphins did not intentionally tank in 2019 as Brian Flores claimed he was offered 100K per loss. Never happened. Okay, this was an interesting one. I heard an interview yesterday with Brian Cashman on the Michael K Show talking about Luis Severino and how they just moved him to the 60-day IL. This is quite bizarre. So Severino received the news Monday and could not believe he was being pushed to the 60-day IL. He said to, he he spoke to reporters Tuesday and said that he doesn't feel any discomfort in his strained lat that has sidelined him since that start in June on June 13th. Um, he's been throwing from flat ground, 60, 75, and 90 to 90 feet, I believe, and thought he would ramp it up and get ready to pitch in the next couple of weeks. But but Cashman said that's just absolutely not how it works. It wouldn't work that way with anybody. Apparently, Cashman also said they tried to show him a calendar and and show him the timeline and, and plan it out. And Severino was just so upset and didn't want to see it. It's understandable, of course. The Yankees don't want to rush him back because he has barely pitched over the last three seasons. It's even more of a reason why you probably shouldn't have traded Jordan Montgomery, Brian. Because, yes, the Yankees in a stunner traded Jordan Montgomery to the Cardinals for Harrison Bader, who's dealing with some um, plantar fasciitis, but should be back by the end of this month. He is granted one of the better center fielders in baseball. He's having a good season. He's got 15 stolen bases. He's batting about 251. He's ha- he's a good player. I, I use him in, fa- in uh, MLB The Show. I like what he does. He's got speed out of his ass. But here's the problem. Severino... Domingo Herman, these are two guys that haven't pitched much lately. You're relying on these guys, and you just gave up a commodity in a left-handed pitcher. Yes, you got Frankie Montas, but that doesn't mean anything. We don't know how he'll pitch in New, in New York. It's quite shocking. Montgomery was one of my favorite players. I draft him all the time in fantasy. He's on my fantasy team this year. And coincidentally enough, the Yankees traded him to the Cardinals. Who do the Yankees play tonight? The Cardinals. And yes, Jordan Montgomery is pitching against the Yankees tomorrow. 
and I'm sure he will dominate them and the Yankees will lose because the Yankees are in a bit of a rut. They just dropped two of three to the Seattle Mariners. I went with the family uh, a couple nights ago to that game. Got great seats in left field. Couple of home, a couple. We saw six home runs in the game and multiple of them came right next to us, but nothing that I could have got my hands on, unfortunately. But it was a good time. Yankees ended up losing the game. Uh, a lot of high scoring, it, a lot of runs. It was fun. But yeah, Yankees lost two out of three and they're in a bit of a rut right now. Um, Jacob deGrom made his season debut on Tuesday with the New York Mets. He did Jacob deGrom things. He went five innings, allowing just three hits and one earned run to go along with six strikeouts. He also hit 102 miles an hour on the gun, leaving the game with a lead. And what did the bullpen do? Oh, they just happened to give up four runs in three innings and lost the game. It marked the 17th time over the last five seasons that DeGrom has allowed one or zero earned runs and the Mets have lost. That's by far the most of any pitcher in baseball. Okay, back to the PGA. Tony Finau is one of the hottest golfers in a, in the world right now, probably the hottest golfer on the planet. For the second week in a row, oh, excuse me, Finau was a, uh, excuse me. For the second week in a row, Finau won a PGA Tour event, this time the Rocket Mortgage Classic. He bogeyed just once the entire tournament and finished 26 under par, the lowest score ever recorded at the tournament. It's just unbelievable. Um, always a fan favorite. I, I've always liked Tony Finau, one of those guys that can, is, he's always atop the leaderboard, but never at the top. And he's always in contention and just can't get over the hump. Um, it's just too bad there were no majors coming up because he would be hands down the favorite. Okay, um, some sad news to report. We lost two legends in their respective sports. Absolute legends. Uh, Vin Scully and Bill Russell. Uh, Vin Scully died Tuesday at the age of 94. He called Dodgers baseball for an astounding 67 years, as well as many other events in other sports, such as football and golf, beginning way back in 1950. His full resume includes calling much of Jackie Robinson's career, as well as those of Sandy Koufax, Don Drysdale, Walter Alston, Tommy Lasorda, Maury Wills, Kirk Gibson, Fernando Valenzuela, Oral Hershiser, Mike Piazza, Gary Sheffield, Adrian Beltre, Adrian Gonzalez, Kenley Jansen, and of course, Clayton Kershaw. Scully called 25 World Series and 12 All-Star Games. He also voiced Don Larson's perfect game in the 56 World Series, Hank Aaron's 715th home run, and Kirk Gibson's pinch hit walk-off home run in the 1988 World Series. He officially retired in 2016 at the age of 88 and joined social media as a way to connect with his fans. He will be sincerely missed. One of the greats of all time, Vin Scully. And then in the game of basketball, we lost the legend himself, Bill Russell, the greatest winner in any team sport ever. Um, he died peacefully Sunday at the age of 88. His resume, this is not 
hyperbole. This will never be replicated. Consider this. He won two NCAA championships at San Francisco University, won a total of 13 NBA titles, appeared in 12 All-Star games, and won five MVPs. Russell was also the first black head coach in NBA history with the Celtics. Oh, and by the way, while he was at San Francisco University, he was a world-class track and field athlete in the high jump. He still holds the record in the high jump at San Francisco, 66 years and counting. No one's broken it. And he chose basketball when he could have gone to the Olympics for track and field. He was ranked second in the country and seventh in the world in the high jump. An absolute goat. We, we speak of Michael Jordan as the greatest basketball player of all time. Bill Russell is the greatest winner of all time, not just in basketball, in any sport ever. It's incredible what this man was able to accomplish. Two immensely popular and transcendent um just stars in, in their own in their own, you know, in their own right. Just it, it's sad. We're losing starting to lose more and more uh famous people over the over the months, over the years. It, it's starting to get scary. It's settling in. I'm starting to realize that I'm getting old. Okay. Let's finish up with some interesting stats, okay? So, here we go. Justin Verlander has a 1.73 ERA this season. Since 1913, only two pitchers at age 39 or older had a lower ERA through their first 20 starts of a season. Roger Clemens in 2005 had a 1.40 ERA, and Eddie Plank in 1915 had a 1.69 ERA. It's incredible. Nobody's talking about this guy for Cy Young winner, but it's a real possibility. He is having one heck of a season. Last night, the Angels hit seven solo home runs, which is tied for the most in a game by any team all time. They lost the game. That is tied for the most home runs in a loss in MLB history. Teams are now 113 and six all time when hitting seven home runs in a game. The Angels, I am convinced, no, not the Pirates, no, not the Orioles, no, not the A's, the Angels. I am convinced they are the worst run and worst franchise in all of baseball. You have Mike Trout, Shohei Otani, you had Thor and Noah Syndergaard, and a slew and bevy of other talented players, a great closer in Ray Sol Iglesias, Brandon Marsh, I, I could go on and on, a lot of good talent. And this team can't make the playoffs year in and year out. Mike Trout's the best player in the game. Otani is obviously the best and only two-way player, but one of the best players in the game. And they continue to lose and lose and lose. And if I was the Angels, there was a lot of talk that they might trade uh, Otani at the deadline here, like they did with Soto. The Angels should have done it because they're going to lose Otani because he's going to command an insane contract and they're not going to be able to pay him or retain him. Um... It's, it's just shocking. This team needs to blow it up, 
get rid of Trout, get rid of Otani, and start from scratch, much like some of these other teams like the Royals and, and all these other, you know, teams at the bottom of the barrel are doing. It's just baffling. Mike Trout has never made the playoffs, and he's not going to make the playoffs yet again. Joe Madden, a World Series winning manager, couldn't turn things around with this team. Nobody can. Mike Sosha held on for as long as he could and couldn't get it done with Mike Trout. It's incredible. Okay, what else? Uh, The Dodgers have won eight straight games against the Giants, tied for the longest win streak by either team in the rivalry since they both moved to California in 1958. All eight wins have come by multiple runs. That's pretty interesting, Uh, incredible. Um, And back to the Angels, Otani uh, hit two home runs in yesterday's game. So he now has five multi-home run games this season. That's tied for second most in Major League Baseball behind Aaron Judge's nine and tied for the second most in a season in Angels history. Troy Gloss had six in 2000, and there's still about 60 games left. Um. Okay. And then finally, on this day, On this date in sports, August 5th, 1982, Joel Youngblood played for two teams in one day. He started for the Mets in Chicago before being traded away midway through the game. He then flew to Philly to join the Expos and played in that game, and he recorded a hit in both games. I don't think it's ever going to be replicated or ever done again. It's just incredible. Um, before I go, guys, that was a nice quick episode. The last two have been pretty long. Uh, we've got some great weekend baseball series going on. You've got the Astros at Guardians, Braves at Mets, Blue Jays at Twins, Yankees at Cardinals, and Padres at Dodgers. Uh, one quick stat, the Braves, excuse me, the Mets beat the Braves yet again yesterday. Uh, they're just on fire. They have either won or tied each of their 14 series this season against divisional opponents. That's the third longest streak by a team to start a season since the MLB implemented divisions in 1969 and the longest since the Braves went 16 straight to start the 99 season. So look out for the Mets. They are a real contender. Um, If not for the MVP season, Paul Goldschmidt's putting together, Pete Alonso would be right up there. He's second behind Aaron Judge in RBIs. He's got like 29 or 30 home runs now. Uh, They're a real... They're a real scary team to look out for. Edwin Diaz has been the best closer in baseball, probably. Um, And then I'd be remiss if I didn't mention this guy. He should have started the All-Star game, but Sandy Alcantara threw a complete game shutout against the Reds yesterday. He now has four starts this season with nine innings pitched. That's more such starts than any other team in Major League Baseball. This guy is at the forefront of the Cy Young Award uh, race right now. Um, And I'm pulling for him because he is having one heck of a season in in a shift in baseball where these pitchers don't last more than five or six innings. For this guy to go deep into these games and throw eight and nine innings consistently is just, it's, it's like, it's so American. It's like apple pie. I just love it because it's, It's old school baseball, and it's no coincidence that his manager is none other than the great first baseman, 
from the Yankees. Um, speaking of the Yankees, uh, Don Mattingly, uh, that just brought up a good a, a good reminder. The Captain episodes five and six just came out yesterday. I've really got to um, grind and catch up on these episodes because I've only seen episode one. I don't know how much I'll get to do a, a watch of it tomorrow because I'm going to the Jets green and white scrimmage. I want to say this is, I, I went last year with my buddies. I'm going with my dad and his friend because um, my buddy can't make it uh, tomorrow because he's working. Um, so I don't know if I went two years ago, but either way, it's a fun time. Um, get to see Zach Wilson, see how they've been going how things have been going uh, through training camp because yet last year was a disaster. Uh, so yeah, uh, that pretty much is going to wrap things up. Catch up on the Captain, new prequel to the Predator movies. Prey on Hulu just came out last night. I started to watch it and then I stopped because I got distracted, was doing some other stuff. So I'm going to continue that after I upload this episode. Um, the Most Hated Man on the Internet's another good one. I don't want to bore you with too much non-sports stuff. But yeah, there's some good stuff going on this weekend. Uh, there should be some good weather. Get out there, do some golfing, uh, maybe. I start back at work on Monday, so that's going to be uh, fun. Not really, but you get the idea. So uh, with that being said, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, that's going to wrap this thing up about 50 minutes in. You have been listening to episode 180 of This Week in Sports. Stay tuned. I've got some big things in store over the coming weeks. Um, and I'll catch everybody on the other side. Enjoy your weekend. This is the Pody signing off.